Turn to the book of Titus this morning, Titus 2.14. Three T's, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Titus 2.14. I'm going to start with verse 11 and read through 15 one more time. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. Let's bow our heads. Father, one more time we come before you, needing thy help, needing thy spirit to make the words that will be spoken real to the hearts of these people. The words that we just read are just plain, common words, unless thy spirit makes them living in the hearts of these listeners here today. Bless each one here, open hearts, that they will not only hear, but they'll enjoy, they'll enjoy what they hear learning about redemption in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. It's got to be very difficult for the average church-going person to call Christ their Redeemer when they have never been a prisoner or held for ransom or, for that matter, have never even been in danger. They must scratch their heads and figure this is just religious language and I'll just go along with it. If you want to belong to a nice church and if you, you do, you've got to learn their language. That's the common person. I can remember going to church like that, thinking there's got to be something else more to this thing than just coming here and singing songs and talking about someone. I don't feel any different. Well, in our verse today, verse 14, it says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. You've just read about Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, who gave himself. Now, the reason for that giving himself follows immediately. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. The word redeem signifies to free them from any distress, especially from captivity and bondage. And it definitely implies that he paid a price that only God could come up with for our redemption. I want to show you that price right now. 1 Peter 1.18. little to the right. Just a little to the right. 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, 
who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, was manifest in these last times for you. Because Christ took on flesh and blood, he had the right to redeem and help us when we had forfeited ourselves and were become slaves and servants of sin and Satan. Now the basics. The basics of true religion lie in the fact that God, the eternal God, creator of heaven and earth, became flesh and blood like one of us. Born a tiny crying infant to become a man, to represent the elect when he suffered and died under the wrath of God on Calvary. See that scripture? Look at Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews, next book, or just about the next book, Hebrews 2.14, about three pages to the right. Is telling you about him taking on flesh and blood like you and me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now the reason behind this need of a divine substitute is the fact that the original representative of human race blatantly disobeyed God and the result of that first sin which is eternal separation from God was passed on to all of Adam's posterity. Now do you claim kin to Adam? Not very many people do. So far away, let me tell you, you're very, very closely related to Adam. Look at Romans 5. Turn to Romans 5. There's that book of knowledge there, Romans. Anything you want to know, it's in Romans somewhere. Romans 5.12, for starters. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, who's that man? It's Adam. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Got another verse, 17, and also verse 19. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Okay? We're talking about Adam being the beginning of our sinful nature. Now that's a bleak picture for mankind. And if you really want to see how bleak it is, look at John 3.18. John 3.18. We've talked about that even in our Bible class today about all the world, everybody, millions and millions in this country, millions and millions in that country. Really? Everybody? Yep, that's what it says. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Doesn't that make you happy? 
that you live in a country where the Lord Jesus Christ is preached. It's preached by Gentiles. We're preaching a Jewish Messiah. I'm telling you about the one that was promised to the Jews and for a long time was isolated just to the Jewish nation. The Gentile nations had no knowledge and no business in there whatsoever. But we're talking about a Jewish Messiah, the Son of God. Strange, huh? Much of the world talk about that? No, they don't talk about that. But the good news is that long before any of these things took place, God planned and arranged to save a few of these vile creatures and make them glorious examples of his mercy and grace. He took all of their names. Uh-oh. You say, I don't know if I believe that. He took all of their names and wrote them in a book and gave that book to the second person in the Godhead who then volunteered to be the sacrifice offering to pay their eternal sin debt. Now look at the verses where this is described for us in the Bible. Revelation 13, 8. In Revelation 13, 8, it speaks of the Lamb's book of life. Start in the middle of the verse because the first part's about the Antichrist whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Boy, they got a lot jammed in this, huh? The book, names, life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In God's mind, the Lord Jesus Christ was already sacrificed and made the perfect sin offering for everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. 2 Timothy 1.9 2 Timothy 1.9 takes you back a pretty long way here. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Now, that's important. Remember that. You have no say-so. Nobody has any question to report or to give to God about this. It's according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You want one more scripture? Look at John 6.39. John 6.39, get it back to the Gospels. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me that of all which he hath given me, or wrote their names down in the book, gave me the book, and so they're all mine, I got them all registered, that I should lose nothing, I shouldn't lose a single one of them but you raise it up again at the last day. Now this is all planned and decreed without any input or knowledge of ours. And in the meantime, before we have a serious thought about spiritual things, we are born in captivity, live and thrive in captivity, 
and love our captivity. You may ask, well, who are we captive to? We by nature are captives to God, to Satan, and to sin. Our natural bondage is described in Zechariah 9.11. Think you can find Zechariah? It's right close to the end of the Old Testament. In fact, it's just in front of Malachi, the last book. So it's the second last book in the Old Testament. We want chapter 9 and verse 11. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water, no water of life from the Lord Jesus Christ, held captive in a pit. In our original state, we are God's creatures, but in our degenerate and fallen state, we're God's prisoners. We are also captives to Satan as God's executioner, given over to his power that he might blind, harden, and lead us to all manner of sin. 2 Timothy 2.26. When I say 2 Timothy 2.26, I wonder how many say, I know what's coming up. I know what that one is. That's the one about people being captive to Satan at his will. Here's 2 Timothy 2.26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Satan, with all the power that he has, can only do God's bidding. His power is delegated power given to him by Christ. He was even given the power of death to torment people. Did you know that? Turn to Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through faith fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Satan had that power. Now listen, the devil is God's executioner, has great power over carnal men to stir up bondage and fear and horrors of wrath and to take them away to torment. That's his job. But it's not as he wills, but as God wills. Satan is our keeper, as God is our judge, and conscience, which was made to be God's deputy, serves as Satan's jailer, stirs up fears, and holds us in chains of darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Paul doesn't bemoan the fact that there are people lost. He knows they're lost. 
And one way that people show it is if they have no interest in the gospel. He said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now, our third captivity is to sin. Every natural man is a slave to his own lust. Turn to Titus 3.3. 3. This is where we started out in Titus. We just run back there again. Titus 3.3. 3. This is quite a description of people whom God deals with. For we ourselves, interesting, also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. That means man in his natural state is a slave to his own affections. The mind and the body work well together to satisfy the lust of the flesh. You know that? They work real hand in hand. Look at Ephesians 2, 3. Ephesians 2, 3, Paul puts them together. The mind sets it up and the old body says, go get it. Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. The mind says, hmm, nice. Body says, go get it. That's the way it works. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Let's put it all together and give you the overall picture. We see man a captive by nature. Then there is God who is a judge to whose wrath we are subjected to. There is the prison, that is hell. There is the keeper of the prison, that is Satan. And there are the ropes and chains by which we are bound and they are partly our sins. Look at Proverbs 5.22. Very good scripture at this time. Proverbs, middle of the Bible. Proverbs 5.22. Give you just a moment to get there. Proverbs 5.22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. Now our Lord Jesus Christ redeems us in a fourfold way, four different ways. First, by free deliverance. Second, by way of exchange. Third, by way of force. And fourth, by paying the price or ransom. Now, by free deliverance, or that first way, we mean that there is nothing done on the captive's part to free himself. Nothing. We have redemption in Christ, but it sure is just him and nothing we did. Look at Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24 says it kind of clearly, where it says, being justified freely 
by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, second, there's a deliverance by exchange. That is Christ standing in our stead as our substitute. He was made a captive that we might go free from the wrath of God. He did not deserve punishment. He did no sin. And we do not deserve his glory because we do sin. But look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. want to show you that great exchange. Him taking our sin and then giving us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, that's the Father, hath made him to be sin for us. And they definitely want you to know who knew no sin. That's why I said no sin ever touched him. None of our sin ever touched the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered the punishment for every single one of our sins, but our sins never touched him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God the Father looks on one of the saved individuals. He sees them perfect. Perfect, the way we live, perfect because he sees us in Christ. Another way of deliverance is by force and a powerful rescue. Christ has redeemed us as we were under Satan's power and held in sin. Look at Luke 11, 21 and 22. Our Lord describes a great rescue like that. Luke 11, 21 and 22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. That's understandable. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcometh him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. The Lord Jesus Christ did that to Satan. Turn to Colossians 1.13 also. Colossians 1.13. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1.13. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now the same way God delivered Israel out of Egypt is the way that Christ rescues us when we were led captive by our own lust. Egypt signified the kingdom and power of darkness. And so we are said to be snatched and recovered out of the kingdom of darkness. The blood of the Passover lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost. You remember that story. As the blood of Christ on our hearts, which is a mark of preservation. You see, once God was satisfied with the payment for sin, Satan has no more right over us. And therefore, Christ redeems us from the devil by force and violence. He needs not to make satisfaction to the devil. Christ said, give me, well, let's see, let's look at Luke twenty-two fifty-three. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 
All of this was supposedly the work of Satan in killing the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan not knowing of the resurrection. If he could just get rid of this person called the Son of God. So verse 53 says, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This was Satan's finest hour for to say. This was it, the taking of Christ. Now, our Lord says there when he tells him that, he says, give me your best pitch. And then he drove it over the center field fence. Turn to Colossians 2.15 show you what I mean. Colossians 2.15 Let's read 14 also. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his seeming moment of weakness, spoiled all of Satan's power all the principalities and powers. This, the elect, thus the elect, the prisoners of hope, are set free. Were you there during this conflict? No, you weren't. Your substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, suffered and died all alone for you and me. Look at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self, all alone, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now the fourth way that Christ delivers us is by paying a price and a ransom. 1 Timothy 2.6 1 Timothy 2.6 It says, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And also Ephesians 1.7 Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, his blood was the price to be paid to God. Even though Satan held us captive, yet the satisfaction must be made to God because man had not sinned against the devil but against God. Therefore, it belonged to God either to condemn or absolve us and let us go free, so Christ gives satisfaction to God. And by that means, he dissolves the power of Satan. When God is satisfied, Satan has no more power over us. I want you to understand that. 
Now, how are we redeemed from iniquity? We are under a double bondage of sin, the guilt of sin and the power of sin. Two things have us, both which made our condition slavish. We were redeemed from the guilt of sin by Christ's satisfaction and from the power of sin by his Spirit. That is the ground and pledge of all the rest. Sin being pardoned, the power of the devil is abolished, the wrath of God removed, the guilt of eternal death taken away. Look at Luke 24, 47. Luke 24, 47. When it's all over, here's the last message of our Lord. And that repentance, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, repentance is the beginning of all new obedience and forgiveness of sins, is the seed of eternal life. All duties are included in repentance. And all blessings are included in pardon. The gospel is nothing more but a doctrine of repentance and remission so that the devil cannot hold us captives nor sin rule in us as in slaves. Sin being pardoned, we're free from the penalties of sin. That is the evils after sin. Now here's a question. Aren't we still subject to corruption and misery? The miseries of this present life and death afterward? Doesn't death still face us? Well, as to the miseries, the afflictions of God's people seem to be punishments, but they are not. They differ as far as medicine is compared to punishment. God acts the part of a physician, not as a judge for his people, Whatever pain he puts us to is not to hurt us, but to better our hearts. Afflictions to God's children are not come by chance. They come by special dispensation. The chastisements of the godly are acts of love and part of God's family discipline. Turn to Hebrews 12.6. Hebrews 12.6. This is a subject people don't like to get into. Who cares about being punished or being chastised. Well, this is God's word. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now, they are for the exercise of grace, not for the destruction of our persons. Now, as for death, I've talked to you about death before, but look at 1 Corinthians 15.50. 1 Corinthians 15.50. Here's the necessity of death. You don't have to be afraid of it. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which means that no matter how, how saved you are, how godly you are, after God has delivered you 
and you have lived a life of prayer, meditation, all that, your body is still not fit to enter heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We are to be incorruptible when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Not corruptible, we couldn't take it. Sense and reason tells us that these bodies which we now carry up and down are not fit for eternity. And some of us who are a little bit older than the young folks know that it's starting to crumble. It's not what it used to be. If we were trying to keep our bodies to go to heaven, it should be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That's not the case. As you get older, you get weaker. We must lay what we receive from Adam in the grave that when it is purged and renewed, we may be like Christ. Turn to Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21 is a very gracious, gracious scripture. Great hope. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You're going to have a body like the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you can't comprehend. Is it going to look like him or going to look like you? It's going to look like you. You're going to be identifiable. The disciples recognized or were introduced anyhow to Moses and Elijah. They were somebody different. All of us will be recognizable one to another. But we'll have 33-year-old bodies like the body of our resurrected Lord. It's like unto his glorious body. That's how old he was when he was resurrected. It is no punishment to lose our corruption and mortality. Death is not a punishment anymore. It's your limousine to heaven. Just make sure that you know the Lord Jesus Christ before you quit breathing. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this message this morning that will touch hearts, teach hearts, all of these dear folks here this morning. Bless them with spiritual understanding, to put first things first, especially in these times of the end. Oh, have mercy upon all of this people, beginning with thy speaker. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You're all dismissed.